0: Well, I'm preaching on James again this evening. Uh, last fall, we worked through the whole book of James, and we wrapped up that series just last month. But as I was preparing for tonight's, tonight's service and thinking about the topic of prayer, I was drawn back to a particular section in James. I just preached on it a few weeks ago, but it seemed like there was more there that could be said. So tonight, we'll go back to James chapter 5. The bulletin says verses 13 to 20, but I'll only be reading verses 13 to 18 of James chapter 5 tonight. This is God's word for us, his people. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So tonight I want to start by talking about the link that James gives us between confession and healing, and then I'll talk briefly about prayers of thanksgiving and intercession. And later in this service, not so coincidentally, we'll have a time of prayer focused on confession, and then on thanksgiving, and then on intercession and hopes for the future. Now, confession isn't something that comes very naturally to any of us, I would suspect. In general, we feel like we're we're pretty good people, and we don't necessarily have all that much to confess, but James just assumes that everybody needs to make confessions to the Lord, and he's probably right about that. So we pray, and we confess our sins, and of course, God assures us of his gracious forgiveness in Christ. But what's really curious about confession in these verses in James is that James somehow seems to tie together spiritual confession and physical healing. Verse 14 says, if anyone's sick, he should call the elders to come pray for him. Verse 15 says that the prayer offered in faith will bring healing. And then verse 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So, confessing our sins leads to physical healing. If someone's sick, do we need to go and have the elders pray over them and then tell them to confess their sins too? What do we make of these verses in James? Now, before I talk about what we should do with those verses, let me say one thing that we shouldn't do. What we shouldn't do is take those verses and twist them and say that all sickness and suffering is a direct easily traceable result of that individual sin. We can't create a simple universal link, a simple cause and effect between sin and suffering. It's not usually best to start out a hospital visit by saying, hi, repent of your sins so you can be healed. I would guess that would not go over well, though I've never tried it. But life is just more complicated than that. And if you want biblical proof of that, we can go back to the story of Job. Job's life started out really wonderful, and he was a faithful servant of God. But then God let Satan take away Job's possessions, his family, and even his health. And three of Job's friends came to him, and they basically said, Job, repent of your sin, You're suffering, so clearly you have done something sinful, something that got God mad at you. You did something bad, now you're suffering, confess and repent out with it, Job. And Job doesn't come up with anything to repent of because he hasn't really done anything wrong to cause all of these calamities that have come upon him. The Bible tells us that Job has basically been a righteous man. And as it turns out, Job's friends are only seeing part of the picture. Life is a lot more complicated than they realize or than they're willing to admit. Job isn't suffering because he did something wrong and got God mad at him. Job is suffering because he's been God's faithful servant in a broken world and Satan has picked Job as one of his targets. And God is letting some terrible things happen to Job, but ultimately God is working even in those things to defeat Satan and to strengthen Job's faith. So we can't just look at someone's suffering and go to them and say, hey, your life is miserable. You must have done something wrong. God is mad at you. Repent and confess of your sins, and then God will bring healing. Life is more complicated than that. Now, of course, ultimately, if there was no sin in the world, there would be no suffering. And in that sense, all suffering can be traced back to the reality that we live in a sinful world. Sin has broken the world, and the effects of that brokenness show up in our lives in all kinds of different ways. Some of them are predictable, some of them are unpredictable. But the right answer isn't to automatically condemn people who are suffering. We need to leave some room for mystery, for God working in ways that we don't understand, and just for the fact that we live in a broken world where things don't go right sometimes. But at the same time, with all of that said, we need to wrestle with the fact that James does create some kind of linkage between sin and sickness. Somehow for James, confessing sins and receiving healing are connected. And so we need to ask ourselves what he's trying to teach us here. Now, C.S. Lewis once called pain and suffering God's megaphone to a deaf world, and sometimes sickness can be precisely the wake-up call we need to get right with God. Sometimes, sometimes, physical sickness can be a sign that things are not right with us and God, and so how we need to respond is to confess our sins, clean up our act, and get on with righteous living. And in a sense, confession is the best spiritual medicine we have. Confession helps us clean out the spiritual junk in our lives. Confessing our sins helps us to recognize and to get rid of the spiritual debris that we've accumulated, and it helps us get a fresh, better start in our lives. And somehow, James extends that even to physical sickness. Again, as a general rule, I would be really hesitant to point from person did sin X to person has suffering Y, but any sickness or suffering that we experience in our lives is an opportunity for us to ask if there's something that we need to work on in our lives. To ask if God is trying to get our attention. It's hard to draw direct lines here, but it does seem like if we clean out the spiritual junk in our lives, sometimes that means that the spiritual junk in our lives gets cleaned out too. Some of this is a mystery, but some of of it just takes us back to the reality that God cares about every part of our lives to the fact that all of our lives are connected and God provides everything we need to follow him physically and spiritually. And so we do pray prayers of confession to clean out the spiritual junk in our lives and it seems like James somehow connects that sometimes at least to physical healing. So this evening we'll spend some time confessing our sins and again dedicating ourselves to God's service. And after we've done that we'll have the opportunity to share some thanks and then we'll have a prayer of thanksgiving. And for some of us, it's a little bit bit challenging to go to God and to offer prayers of thanksgiving. Of course, we are grateful to God for the good things He's done in our lives, but it can feel, feel a little bit weird that God expects us to give Him thanks for things. After all, doesn't God know the good gifts that He's given us? Doesn't God know if we're grateful in our hearts or not? And doesn't God have everything that he needs anyway? How can us giving thanks add anything to God's glory? Why do we pray prayers of thanksgiving? Now, before I answer that question, let me pause for a second and say that heartfelt gratitude really is the important thing. It's better to be grateful and to not say a whole lot than to offer all kinds of empty phrases of gratitude that we don't mean. But let me give you an image here for why we give thanks to God. Imagine that a young boy went to his dad and said, Dad, you are really a great dad. I am really grateful for what you've done in my life. I want to buy you a present. So give me some money and I'll go get you something special. So the dad gives the boy some money and he goes off and he buys a present and he gives it to his dad and he says, Thank you for being a great dad. Now, did the father need the present Probably not. Did the father end up any better off because his son gave him the present? Well, no, not really. If the father gives the son $10 and the son buys a present and gives it to the dad, the dad has basically just spent $10 to give himself the present. It's not like he ends up better off, monetarily at least. But what that whole exchange did was to help the relationship between the father and the son grow. The present from that child was an expression of gratitude for his dad being a good dad. It was a concrete thing that expressed gratitude and that deepened the relationship. And from the father's end, yeah, he didn't make any money off the deal, but he did get a concrete sign that his child valued the relationship. God doesn't want us to say thank you for the gift that he gives us because it somehow benefits him. God has already given us absolutely everything that we have. There's nothing we can do, no action, no prayer, no thought, nothing that can give back to God more than what he's given us. Every single breath we take is a gift from God. But when we pray, it strengthens the relationship we have with God. What prayers of thanks do is they show God that we value the gifts that he's given us, They're a concrete sign of our gratitude. So we give thanks to God, not just because God expects it, but because it's one thing that we can do to strengthen the relationship. God knows our hearts, but what we do with our lips and our lives also matter. And so we offer prayers of thanksgiving. And finally this evening, we'll offer some prayers of intercession. We'll make some requests of God. We'll express some hopes for the future as we look into this new year. We'll come before God, and just like always, we have some things we can ask of Him. We'd like there to be less sickness. We'd like to have fewer troubles. We'd like to see more goodness in the coming year. And James 5.16 tells us that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And then James gives us this example of Elijah, who he says was a man just like us. And Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three years or so. And then he prayed that it would rain, and it did again, and the ground produced crops. Now, the story James is referring to is a time when God's people under King Ahab were really running away from God. Ahab had set up altars to all kinds of gods in Israel, and the Old Testament tells us in 1 Kings 16 That Abraham did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, than all the kings before him had done. Ahab was the worst of the worst. And if you've ever heard anything about the history of Israel's kings, to say Ahab was the worst of the worst was saying something pretty significant. Things were pretty bad back then. And Elijah's job as a prophet was to keep calling God's people back to God's plan and back to God's ways time and time and time again. And after years and generations of this disobedience, Elijah finally went to the king and said there would be no rain until the people turned back to God. If the people were going to turn their backs on the good gifts of God, the Lord was going to turn his back on them for a while. So Elijah prayed for this huge natural upheaval, for this natural disaster, for this huge, even you could call it miracle, in order to cure the huge spiritual upheaval that was already happening. His prayer was powerful and effective because he was praying according to God's plan and purpose. So when James gives us this example, he's not telling us that we can just pray and get whatever we want. We can't send drought on our neighbor's garden because we're jealous of their fruits and vegetables. We aren't guaranteed good weather when we pray for it, obviously, given the weather we have today. We can't be guaranteed it won't rain on our picnic sometimes and so on. We don't always get what we pray for. That's not the guarantee we have when we bring our request to the Lord. But what is guaranteed is that God hears our prayers and God works with us. God listens to the prayers of his people, and those prayers shape how God works out his plan, how God goes about promoting his glory and working for the good of his people. When we pray, God listens and God responds. And sometimes we get exactly what we pray for, and it's great. And sometimes God works our prayer requests into his will in ways that we don't understand and that we don't expect. And again, sometimes that turns out in wonderfully great ways that we can see. And sometimes in this life, we don't quite see what God is doing and how he's working things out for our good. But we do have the assurance that God is making something beautiful out of history. And even the parts we don't understand are God at work weaving things together for good in the end. The prayer of a righteous man can truly be powerful and effective because that prayer is molded and it's worked out by our loving, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God. So tonight in our prayers, we'll be confessing our sins, we'll be giving thanks to God, and we'll be offering prayers of intercession and hope for God to work in mighty ways, just as he did in Elijah.